Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. We were having a few technical difficulties this morning. I think I found a way to get around it. Um, But if we run into a couple of issues, I'm letting you know right now that we are trying to get it resolved. So there you go. So anyway, yes, we are black free thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. I don't know how many times I can say that. And as for me and my black free thinkers, we will read, we will read books, even if it's a comic book, hell, if it's a batch book, some type of book. Read it, pick it up, do something. Toss it around, I don't care. Um, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. I just didn't feel like doing the show last week. Forgive me. I didn't feel like doing one today. I'll be honest with you. So, like, you know, it's so much to talk about. It's so much that's happening that you just, it's overwhelming. You don't know what to discuss. You don't even know if you feel like discussing it because it's like overkill. Uh, And there's so much going on, you know, um, just the real issues in, in many cases are just being overlooked. And you try to bring that to people, and unfortunately, a lot of folks aren't receptive to it. Unfortunately, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, you have people that are here that just don't care about the politics, don't care about what's happening around us, don't care about how this is going to impact them and those around them. You know, they just care about themselves and the here and now and what they're doing and, you know, having their fun. And there's nothing wrong with having your fun, but, you know, we had to start to start thinking strategically long term. So anyway, before I get into all of that, and, you know, like I said, we'll see how this goes. It's been an interesting past couple of days, just been kind of just chilling out, sleeping, sleeping, and sleeping some more. But um, for those of you that know me, you know that I have a chronic illness going on, and so I go through those periods, right? So before I start on that, there's a new book, James Baldwin book. It's called James Baldwin in the 1980s, Witnessing the Reagan Era, and it was written by Joseph Vogel. And then there's another book, Looking for Lorraine, Lorraine Hansberry, so Looking for Lorraine by Imani Perry. And that just went through my news feed a couple of days ago, so I'm just telling you all what I saw haven't had a chance to go and look it up, let alone order the books. And looking for Lorraine, I don't. I think it's in pre-order right now. Um, the only reason why I saw it is because um, it went through my news feed from the Paris Review, and so um, which is one of my favorite magazines, and you get a lot of information out of that. But um, anyway. That's what's happening there. James Baldwin in the 1980s, Witnessing the Reagan Era by Joseph Vogel and Looking for Lorraine by Imani Perry. You know, I'm looking forward to reading both of those. But for those of you that know me, know that I am absolutely crazy about James Baldwin. So if you ever run across anything about James Baldwin, it doesn't even matter if you think that I've seen it before, send it my way because – 
I just love that guy. You know, absolutely adored him. So, uh, as a matter of fact, um, well, anyway, I don't need to share that with you guys. I already tell you too much any damn way. But uh, <laughs> there's been a lot going on. Uh, I don't even know where to start. One story I saw this week that um, tickled me is basically you have six brothers and sisters that have come out and and run a political ad with the opposing party telling folks basically not to vote for their brother. And I'm not sure if you all have seen this story or not, but basically there's a, a gentleman by the name of Rep, uh, Paul Gosar. He's in the you know, House of Representatives. And let me see here. Where is he based? <laughs> he is based in Arizona in the 4th District. And his brothers, Grace, David, Jennifer, Tim, Joan, and Gaston, they all, they just basically ran him over the coals because of his stance on Social Security, health care, water, um, Charlottesville. Basically, he's, you know, a mirror image of Donald Trump, and he's proud of it. And so his brothers and sisters are standing up and out against him. And so they're endorsing the Democratic candidate that's running against him. The Democratic candidate, is, the name is David Brill, B-R-I-L-L. And so um, Paul, which is really interesting, Paul is the one running for representative or re-election. He's the oldest of ten children. So <laughs> six out of ten don't recommend Paul. You know, that's better odds than you see in a lot of these medication ads. So I just thought this was really interesting and there was a writer, a black writer, who said this is one of the most petty things he'd seen, and he was pretty much there for it. And one of the brothers was offended by it because they didn't understand in black vernacular what we mean when we say petty, right? And so um, <laughs> it's interesting, you know, it was an interesting dialogue that went through, that went back and forth. But he had basically posted some rebuttal from the brother in which, you know, the writer, Osted, A-S-T-E-A-D, I forgot his last name, and some of his Twitter followers were trying to explain to that family that in basically African, African-American vernacular that petty is a good thing, right? And so, child, go and, go and read this. This is interesting. Um, and the brother, Paul, basically is trying to write them off as disgruntled and bitter and and. Um, socialists and you know all the typical clapback, and so <laughs> and it basically is trying to say that his opponent is exploiting um, basically familial political differences into a launch attacks on him as opposed to focusing on the issues when the people of that particular ilk are known for ad hominem attacks. I'm pretty sure Paul is one of the main ones laughing when Donald Trump calls people names like Pocahontas and low IQ and, you know, all that crazy shit, you know. Um, and what's so funny, you know, he's talking about you can't pick your family. We all have crazy aunts and relatives, and family is no different. And to his six angry brothers and sisters, basically he's saying, oh, well, I'll see you at, <laughs> at mom and dad's for dinner. Oh, so that kind of gave me some life this weekend because I was laughing my rump off. You hear me? 
That was like some of the funniest shit ever. So, yeah, go out and read that. Uh, the guy, his name is Paul Gosar, or Gosar, G-O-S-A-R. And he's the Republican. And it was just so funny when I read this because all I could think was Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, and so it's the funniest thing ever. You know, go and, go and look it up. You know, when you have six of your brothers and sisters coming out against you, you know you kind of fucked up somewhere. And for them to be doing it publicly, you know, that speaks volume. It truly does. So, you know, if you want a little giggle, go on and, and look that up and have a little fun with it. And speaking of Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike, I saw a little bit of the Bobby Brown special. I know, how do you jump from politics to Bobby Brown? Child, don't ask me how this brain works. But um only got to the part where he asked Whitney to marry him, and I had to turn it off from there. It's like, you know, I don't know, just bad memories. But also I believe the main thing is I really don't care to see these celebrities' lives being exploited and played out on television. And for those of you that have been around long enough, you know I absolutely detest reality TV. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so angry that I'm being forced to participate in a reality TV show led by, you know, the this administration, because this has just been an absolute nightmare these last two years. And so it's, it's, it's a lot to unpack, but, you know, I'm just going to move on. But, um, you know, I really wanted to give a shout-out to a good friend, and I would say your name, but, you know, you got these Scooby-Doo detectives around here that are <laughs> trying their best to um, get some tea. And what's so funny is, what you all don't realize is when you're out there and you do some of the shit that you do and you run across certain people, even if they don't know how to get in contact with me, they get in contact with people that they know know me. And it gets right back to me. So, yeah, I'm kicking up a little dust, but that was only a little bit. So, you know, since you want to play, you know, a nice surprise is coming your way in the next two, three weeks. You know, and I will get that started tomorrow. So we'll be working on some paperwork starting tomorrow because you want to play. All right? So all that good fun stuff there. But hi to the Scooby-Doo detectives, especially the ones that are following me on Twitter and are still on my Facebook page. I haven't kicked you off for a reason. But it's just so funny to me because it's like, do you really think that I don't know that you're there? Just want you to think about that. So anyway, um, it's just funny to me. Uh, There were a couple of things that I wanted to talk about, but I've decided against it. But, um, you know, what I will say about being chronically ill is that a lot of people don't seem to understand, and especially when you have an aggregation of chronic illnesses, you know, people start taking your illness personal. And it's like some days getting out of the bed, just getting out of the bed, 
is difficult, let alone trying to get up and put some clothes on. And for those that know me well, know I pretty much refuse to wear regular real clothes if I don't have to. Sweats, T-shirts, you know, if I'm feeling okay, maybe a pair of jeans and a T-shirt. If if it's something, I'll throw on a blouse. But it's just, it's crazy. And what I will say is, you know, now that I've, I'm out of the city and I've left Chicago, I didn't realize how stressed I was, you know, just living in the city. And, you know, now getting a chance to rest, you know, the first few months that I had left, I just slept and slept and slept and slept, you know, had to decompress. And even right now, I still can't sleep with the window open, not fully open. And so um, it's just adjusting, acclimating to the new environment. And I've talked to some people, and they say, you know, Kim, well, you may never really adjust to certain things, especially, you know, feeling 100% secure. And I just think that's, you know, that's shameful. So anyway, um, it's real interesting because, you know, in my case, when I tell people, especially about the part about constantly being in pain, they don't get it. Oh, you look fine, you know, or you were able to do this, you were able to do that. Yeah, but just because I'm able to do certain things on certain days, some days I'm pushing myself to do that. And I have to be very careful because, you know, there have been a number of instances in which I almost passed out in public. You know, one particular instance, um, you know, we were dealing with the press and whatever was going on there which I know what was going on. I'm just not, I don't want to talk about it. But um, I ended up grabbing a hold of a photographer's arm. And at first, you know, he was like, well, he didn't know what was happening there. And, you know, and I had to hold my finger up to tell him to hold on, but I told him that I got dizzy and I was about to go down. And so he just stayed there for a couple of seconds and helped me get steady. But, um Guys, you know, if you have friends, family, whoever, that have these chronic illnesses and they're saying, you know, they can't do A, B, C, D, or E, you need to believe them. Because it's situations like that that makes life very difficult. And while they understand what's happening to them, the other people around may not understand. And sometimes something that's very, very minor, like maybe they just need to sit down for a few minutes, or if you're with someone that's kind of like me and it's like, okay, you know, I have a schedule for the medicine. I have to take this medicine within this time range and with this particular set of medicines because sometimes, you know, with a lot of us, we stagger our medicine because some medicines – you take with food, some you take without food, some you have to take after this particular medicine because it has to kick in, so you have to wait at least two hours. And so, you know, if they're saying that they have to eat or they've been out in the sun, I mean, people have learned this the hard way with me as well. I can't be out in all that sun for long periods of time. You know, turn into a fire hydrant. Everything is coming up. And then you're sitting there, you're upset, and you're embarrassed because I'm sick after I told you 
what was going to happen. But you get, oh, a few more minutes or a couple of more blocks. Okay. So um, be mindful. Be mindful of people, and if they're telling you that something is wrong, you need to believe them. So anyway, um, let me get off that depressing shit. But uh, there's a lot going on. There were some things that have happened in the past couple of weeks that I think is important, some things that are coming up. In October, the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Organization, and again, that's Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Organization, they're going to be bailing out 500 women and teens out of Rikers Island. So that's happening in October. They're, you know, they have the funding, the resources to bail out 500 women and teens from Rikers. So congratulations to them on that. And the Chicago Bail Bond Company, they're, um, they're running some campaigns, some fundraisers. If you get a chance, send some donations to them. They're doing a lot of work with, you know, the different social justice community activism groups in Chicago because, again, I need for you guys to understand that there are quite a few people that are in jail that are incarcerated simply because they cannot afford the bail. So let's say they got a ticket for jaywalking or got arrested for jaywalking or, you know, or some type of made-up charge, you know, because a police officer felt that they disrespected them. I mean, it could be anything. And the bail may only be, you know, like, let's say $1,000, but you still got to come up with $100. They don't have that. And so in turn, now this person lost their job probably lost their apartment if they're a single parent or even, you know, or even, you know, a a couple, what have you. You know, the kids, you got to get the kids ready for school. And nowadays we know both parties of a couple pretty much have to work. You know, they're not paying a living wage or, you know, we're not talking about inflation. We're not talking about all of this. And so, you know, they'll say, well, the economy is good. Yes, on a macro level. That's not for the rest of us. The 99% rest of us, or really 90% of the rest of us, we don't benefit from a good stock market. We don't benefit from the GDP. We don't benefit from any of that shit. So, you know, when you look at it on a micro level, there's all kinds of fucked up down here. And so, you know, it's unfortunate. But, you know, like I said, there are some people that are incarcerated for crimes they didn't commit. It was one gentleman, I saw this go through my news feed, that Golf Digest helped to get him released because he was incarcerated on a murder that he did not commit, and it was a flimsy case. The the the, the gentleman that committed the murder admitted that he committed that murder, but they threw it out and put this other dude in jail. I think he was in jail for 26 years, and he you know, enjoyed drawing, and he saw a picture of a golf course, and so he started drawing golf courses in some kind of way. His his work ended up in front of Golf Digest. They published some of his work, and then they looked at his case, and they helped to get him out of jail. And at first, the state was ignoring them and ignoring his pleas and all of that, and until it started picking up traction in the public. So for those of you that are out there saying that we shouldn't talk about these things, 
that, you know, is, is significant, and and then especially those of you who are like, well, he probably did something else anyway. Or I talked to his third cousin's, you know, twice-removed sister, and she said he wasn't a good person anyway, so he deserves it. No, fuck that. You have people in jail that are incarcerated for crimes they didn't commit. You have people in jail because they couldn't afford the bail, you know, and, and it's not right, which is why, you know, you have those of us that are out here that are, you know, wanting to abolish a lot of things. And, and I used to say overhaul a number of things, but, you know, I'm even finding out that that is an error. You know, we'll say we want to overhaul the justice system or what have you, but overhaul it how? Just so they can, you know, swap some of the biases around so that they can find another way to continue to perpetuate white supremacy? And so some of my thoughts on that are changing, you know. So as you know better, you do better, right? So I would just, you know, encourage you guys to go out and read more about that and um, and about the judicial system or, you know, the justice system and how it's unjust and, you know, how people are being treated and discarded. You know, I know on the last show I talked about the 13th Amendment. I hope you all went and watched Ava DuVernay's film or documentary because it's very important for you all to understand what's happening. And I'm going to say this one more time. Well, not just one more time. I'm going to continue to say it. Please check periodically to make sure that you're still registered to vote and that you have not been purged. There's been a lot more of this happening. So, again, go and check it out. And, you know, there are people who voted and now they're trying to arrest them because they weren't eligible to vote. They didn't realize that. And I forgot the black woman's name, and I apologize for that, that we need to get behind her. I need to go get some more information and see what they're doing in regards for her case so that we can rally around and support her because, you know, they're trying to give her an exorbitant amount of jail time. And it's just it's crazy. And they're putting these people up as examples to basically discourage other folks from voting. And what I will tell some of you, and see, I wasn't planning on talking about this today, so I'm not prepared, and I apologize. I hate when I do this. But there are certain states in which they are restoring the voting rights of convicted felons. And there are also different ways in which you can go and have your voting rights restored. And it's going to cost probably in some cases a little bit of money, but they have more and more programs and people coming out helping those that want their right to vote restored. So um, I guess that's probably something I should do. Or better yet, you do it on your own. I always encourage you guys to go out and do some research on your own, but I'm going to do the research too so that I can become a little bit more educated about that particular um, situation. And, you know, I'll I'll try to share some with you, but as I've told you guys before, um, if you really want to see some of the things I'm putting out there, I'm over on Twitter, you know, Black Freethinkers, at Black Freethinkers on Twitter. 
So you can find me over there. You know, if you just look up the hashtag Black Freethinkers, you'll see me. I pop right up, and there are other people using that same hashtag, which is fine. But if you want to find me, you'll see it there. And just come on and follow me. And I'm pretty liberal about following people back on that particular account. So, um, yeah, come on over. Another thing that happened was McDonald's workers went out on a nationwide strike against sexual harassment as part of the Me Too movement. So congratulations to Tarana Burke and her Me Too movement. But that, you know, was happening there with the workers, especially the women workers at McDonald's, you know, standing up against sexual harassment. This is revolutionary. I mean, you know, it's radical. So, you know, I'm I'm happy for them, you know, and again, also fight for fifteen, even though I still think fifteen dollars is still not a living wage, but it's better than what people are getting now. I guess that's the best way to put it, but you know, fight for fifteen. We have these people out here that are fighting for your everyday Joe and Joette, you know, trying to earn a living, you know, can't even afford, a, you know, two-bedroom apartment. You know, these are some of the things that we're talking about. You know, oh, the GDP is great. You know, the stock market is just doing absolutely phenomenal, but not for your everyday people. So anyway, moving on. Puerto Rico is still fucked up over there. You know, but he gives himself an A+. So I just want you guys to pay attention to what's happening over in Puerto Rico and watch as the vultures pick them over or pick them apart. Basically, you know, I read across and ran across an article. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it's called, it was talking about disaster capitalism. And so I really need to read about that, but I just wanted to share that with you because when I was putting together a couple of things for today, you know, I ran across that and I said, okay, I need to come back to read it, but it's specifically talking about Puerto Rico and what's happening over there now and disaster capitalism. So that gives you something to look up and to, you know, to to learn and to understand. And so now we're going to talk about, you know, what's happening with this Kavanaugh thing. And I'll tell anyone in a heartbeat, Nita Hill told the truth. She was vilified, and I stand with her, and I stand with Christine Ford. You know, and what's happening with this Kavanaugh and Christine Ford, you know, the way it's playing out is absolutely horrific. But what I do want people to understand is white women voted for Trump, 53% of them. You know, and it's so it's, it's disheartening because you have 45 sending out tweets talking about why didn't her or her loving parents, you know, and you know he was being sarcastic as hell with that. Why didn't they report it? You know, and no one's asking these children that were victimized by these pedophile priests why it took them so long to come and report it. But you know what? I can't even say that because I remember when all of, a lot of this shit was, you know, breaking out and coming out in the 80s and even in the 90s. You know, and it may have happened before then, but I was too young to see it. But they were saying, why did these people take so long? And, again, you're victimizing the victim when you say things like that. You know, you don't do that. And what people need to understand is that there's no statute of limitations in Maryland. Now, if it were me, 
and all of this hell, you know, I'd be ready to file charges tomorrow in the state of Maryland, file charges against his ass, and I would go on network TV and blab it all. I would tell every fucking thing, which I don't think they want her to do that either. Right? So, uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting. You know, have my mama call up his mama, whatever. And, you know, you have these people out here, and they're like, well, why didn't she report it? Why didn't she tell? You know, a lot of women don't tell because men pretty much control and monopolize monopolize everything. And they will lie, cheat, and cover for each other in a heartbeat. And then you have some of these so-called politicians, these so-called leaders, saying, well, he was only 17 and shouldn't have to pay for this the rest of his life, but yet you want to punish a 17-year-old girl for having sex and force her to have a child she probably doesn't want to have or can't afford. Then you have other politicians talking about he attempted and failed, so what's the big deal? What kind of shit is that? I mean, seriously. Then you got people putting that out there like that. He attempted and he failed. So basically you feel like she should just get over it and move on, right? So anyway, I just thought I'd put that out there and let you know what's happening, what's going on, and um, why this is so dangerous and why you have women that are just out here outraged about these, you know, about these charges, about the way that this woman is being treated, and just women in general, how women in general are treated. So there you go. It's, it's, it's a, the whole situation is just really interesting. But, um, you know, at first I wasn't going to say anything about this, but then I couldn't couldn't hold back, and it didn't help that Raina called me and wanted to talk about this. So basically, the Smithsonian Museum, the African-American Museum in D.C., they have a hip-hop section, and it's being curated by this white woman, right, Timothy Ann. And um, there's been some controversy about that. And do I really want to get into it? Not particularly, you know, because it's like beating a dead horse. But basically, you know, the gist of it is you have a white woman that's curating the hip-hop section of the museum, and you have some black people, it was a black man that, you know, questioned why that happened. And so from my understanding, this particular white woman, I guess, is down for the cause and, you know, has taught a lot of people and, you know, all of that that goes along with it. And and what's interesting is, ha, I I saw some tweets and some people were like, well, you know, why can't she do it? You know, she has the qualifications. She's the most qualified. How do you know who the hell applied for that job to say that she's the most qualified? But let's take the situation and put it in context. There are probably a lot of black men and women that would love to curate, you know, the hip-hop section or whatever section. But you got to remember, 
you know, we don't have as many options, opportunities, and resources as white people. So those opportunities are far and few between. And then I saw some people talking about, oh, well, her doing it, well, that's diversity. And I say diversity, my ass. We do not have the power or room to be offering any fucking diversity to white people. We don't have that. So I'm sitting there and I'm reading this shit. And then I'm looking at some of the people that are saying these things, and I'm like, okay, now I'm confused. You know, some of these people talk a lot about structural, you know, racism, inequality, but you're making excuses. Now, this is not, you know, castigating any aspersions on the white woman. I have no idea who she is. And I had no idea because it's like, you know, I'll be in D.C. again next year. So now that they have set it up that you can go to the museum on the weekdays without a ticket, that is what we will be doing when we come up there next year, right? But um, that's the only reason why I haven't been to the museum yet. And so because it's like usually anyway, it doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, we don't have the power, or the room. We can't afford to be offering fucking diversity to white people. And I've never heard of such a thing in the first damn place. Diversity to white people? Really? When I saw that shit, my eyes almost popped out of my head. I had to take a nap. And I'm like, really? You know, and so, you know, this is, this has nothing to do with that individual. This has to do with just the audacity of the fucking situation. You know, and you know, Rain and I we talked about it and we were like, it's not like Missy or MC Light or Queen Latifah or Jay Z or any of them folks aren't aren't alive. They are all alive. I would think it would be interesting if you let them come in and curate the hip hop section. I can pretty much guarantee you, you will have that fucker packed out. Hell, Cool Mo D probably needs something to do. Call him up. You create opportunities for white people and all these other folks. Why the hell not? What about some of these independent, you know, hip-hop rap artists? They would love an opportunity like that. And so, you know, the African American Museum, they responded. They have programs in place to train, you know, people who are interested in curating and all of that. And it's a number of programs across the country. And you can look that up, but, you know, what I'm saying is, you know, give some people an opportunity. People who normally, you know, have that door closed in their faces or maybe don't even necessarily understand. There are some people that are out here curating and don't understand what the hell they're doing. You know, I've met some of these young people up here telling me about the history of ABCD, don't even realize that they're freaking historians and they are accurate. And so it's interesting having some of these conversations. But, um, you know, what I find interesting is reading some of the comments from some people because this one particular person, I haven't even gone over to see what they have to say, but I already know because this is one person. They basically redefined, redefined white supremacy so as to not cause discomfort for their white partner. I mean, 
you know, not that I have any value or hold any value in what they have to say. I just want to see what kind of ridiculous-ass excuse he can come up with or she. Well, actually, he and she. There's a few of them. So um, it's, it's interesting, but what I will say, and you've heard me talk about this before, you have some white people that are taking up way too much fucking space in black safe spaces. Way too much. And if black people like this particular white person, you know, you make excuses for them. So, you know, being black and poor, you know, doesn't afford you many options or opportunities or resources. And it's just unfortunate. It really is. Um, So, yada, yada, yada. Blah, 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 all right? And so it's just interesting, like I said, going through the news feed, seeing some things. Um, there's this one black pastor out there, you know, and I'm segueing into what we're going to be talking about today. And with this particular pastor, his name is A.R. Bernard, right? And so he was talking about American history and and talking about how we should view American history through the lens of classism as opposed to the lens of racism, right? And all I can think is that he's been hanging out with these Republicans and libertarians and how his message is extremely dangerous, but he's not unique in that. There are a number of black pastors that have been, you know, teaching somewhat the same type of rhetoric, right? And this is dangerous because to a certain degree it allows white people, it lets them off the hook. Let's them off the hook for systemic racism and colonialism and, and how they have benefited from that. But when you start talking about classism, for those of you that have been listening to this show for a while, you know I've, you've heard me talk about the hierarchy of whiteness and how you have different classes or different levels of whiteness. And so there there are classism issues within you know, that particular white culture in America, right? But whiteness as a whole has been anti-black and has been violent toward black people, you know, and other other people too, but I'm talking about black people. I'm a black people, so I can only really talk about black people stuff because I'm a black people and that's all I know how to be is a black people, right? And so, you know, um, I'm thinking we're going to have to have another conversation again about the hierarchy of whiteness. And you have these different levels, these different people. You know, and as I've stated on the show before, if they got rid of all the black and brown and red people and even yellow people in this country, they will turn against each other. I mean, you see it now. And it's really vicious when you see white people turn against each other. You know, I've seen some of the most vicious shit, you know, just sitting back watching them. But, you know, there is a hierarchy there as well. So, anyway, you have all of that going on. And Ted Cruz, you know, is really worried about his little election going on there with Beto O'Rourke. And basically, he was saying that, you know, Dr. King um, 
would not approve of us protesting against police misconduct. And what I could tell Ted Cruz is Dr. King definitely would not be in favor of police misconduct, so I'm trying to figure out where Ted Cruz is coming from with all of this. You know, Dr. King was arrested, what, over 30 times plus? You know, I hear protesting, thrown in jail, all of that. So what the hell are you talking about? And, oh, yeah, for those of you, before you get started with me on that last comment about A.R. Bernard and the classism versus racism, I do understand about the black misleadership class and all of that, you know, because that plays into the politics as well as the religious. You know, there's a religious component to that. But anyway, um, I was just saying that before, you know, I have people hitting me up about that, you know, because that right there is a show by itself. But it's disheartening, and in addition to that, it's it's exhausting just watching all of this. But, yeah, so Ted Cruz released this video of Beto O'Rourke talking to a black church, and Beto was talking about Botham Jean. I forgot to mention him. And what happened, Ted Cruz basically said, you know, Botham found himself murdered. How do you find yourself murdered? That young man was in his own house, minding his own damn business, and then they tried to vilify him in the headlines talking about they found marijuana. Well, hell, how do we know you didn't plant the marijuana? We know cops do shit like that all the time. The white woman that shot and killed him in his own place, number one, she shouldn't have been in his house. And from my understanding, she had been placing complaints, I guess, for noise, and the neighbor said they heard her knocking on the door talking about, let me in. And just the uniqueness of the keys and, their, you know, the locking systems, the mechanisms that they have in place. He had a big-ass bright red welcome mat. She didn't have that. And then she had the nerve to say that she was giving him verbal commands. What the fuck? Verbal command. And so there was just a whole bunch of controversy behind that. And someone basically went found her Pinterest account. And they were showing how she had all of this anti-Black Lives Matter stuff, all of this anti-social justice stuff, and all of this happening. And there was a cover-up happening. Because at first, none of the publications would talk anything about her Pinterest and her social media accounts and some of the things that she said and did and posted. And then it started coming out. So from what I'm understanding is, you know, they're trying to cover up what happened, that the police chief is a black woman, and that particular black woman is saying that she can't fire this white woman. And so... There's a lot happening there, and so I'm asking you guys not to let that fall in the cracks. Keep up with what's happening over there and um, stay on top of it. So anyway, today's show is called Dear Black Church, White Supremacy in the Pulpit. 
Please join us as we discuss the current state of the church. You have people leaving in droves, leadership openly rebelling against the Bible they profess to believe, pastors and leadership openly telling you to submit and obey the authority of deviance, pastors and leadership that are money-hungry and on power trips and so much more. When are you going to stand up and speak up? There is no way that you can convince me that you believe that this type of leadership is acceptable. Right? So, I posted on my wall this blog or an article about a blog about John MacArthur and basically a blog that he wrote denouncing radical feminism, denouncing basically social justice and intersectionality and a number of things, right? And it was signed by 4,400-plus pastors and ministers, right? And so, you know, I posted it on Facebook, you know, eventually because I had already seen it on Twitter and I had already been stewing about it, you know, rather upset because, you know, there are some black people, some black pastors and leaders that have signed this this particular petition, right? And, huh. I, I, I'm looking at the black church leadership, and I'm like, what the hell is happening here? What is happening here? And what's so interesting about this, you know, and interesting is not the best word, but that's the one I'm going to use because I'm trying not to cuss, is that, you know, I've seen some pushback from a few black pastors and ministers, but not much. And then this John MacArthur, you know, trying to say that he was out in the streets in the 60s with the black pastors and and fighting against racism and how he's against racism. But yet you're against social justice. What the hell was Jesus doing? I don't know. You know, and, and well, when I say I don't know, I'm being a little sarcastic about that, you know. I don't, I don't want anyone sending me any emails about some crazy shit, right? But you have to go out, you all have to read this article. It's titled Social Injustice in the, in the Gospel, and it's written by John MacArthur, you know, one of the premier white evangelical pastors heralded and and just worshipped in this country, you know, and basically he's given the scripture basically saying that earthly governments are ordained by God to administer justice and believers are to be subject to their authority. I want you to think about that. Think about who's in office, 45, and how he's trying to force people, especially black and brown people, to submit to his authority by any means necessary. You know, 45 knows exactly what he's doing. And these pastors are falling in line. And this is one of the reasons why on this show, when I start talking about certain things, especially when I start talking about um, 
the religious right and a moral majority and all of those different movements that started really taking shape, you know, in the 60s and the 70s. People want to say that this is because of the, you know, um, the abortion issues and, and the LGBTQ issues. Now, this has everything to do with segregation and education. That is how this jumped off. This is, how, this is where a lot of this started. I'm not saying that it wasn't happening before then, but it just, you know, it, it, it took off, you know, and it took it to another level. And you all need to understand, you know, the history of this and what they're trying to achieve. And a number of these, you know, pastors and church leaders, they have their own schools, their little Christian schools, and in some cases they have their own little charter schools making money, basically wanting to take money from the government. And all of this ties into a number of things, like the Johnson Amendment, which prohibits pastors from talking about politics in their pulpit. Now, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because you have Paula White, this white woman that's the pastor of a megachurch, her second megachurch, and she's preaching directly from the pulpit. She went to Kenneth Copeland's church and preached from the pulpit of Kenneth Copeland's church telling people to vote for Donald Trump. They're not supposed to do that. And so, again, this is, this is being done deliberately. And we need for you guys to understand that this is being done deliberately. They want these court cases. This is one of the reasons why they want Kavanaugh on, on the Supreme Court so badly, not only because he can shield and cover and protect Donald Trump, but because they're trying to reverse a lot of the legislation that's out here. So she went to Ken Copeland's church to rally support for Donald Trump. Now, you know, what a lot of people don't seem to understand, like I said, you can't do that. But Kenneth Copeland, his little Eagle Mountain Church in Texas, he, him, and you have other white pastors out here like Rod Parsley, Franklin Graham, Pat Robertson, Jim Baker. These are people whose audiences are primarily black and brown. They have a lot of white supporters and followers and members but you have a lot of black and brown people that listen to them and send them money. And what I don't understand are the black people that are doing this. You know they're for 45. And with some of these megachurch pastors, they're being slick about it. You know they're trying to not outright say it, but what they're doing now with Paula White and Kenneth Copeland is they are opening the door and basically challenging the Johnson Amendment. And we've been telling you guys that this is happening and that this was coming. And, you know, after Paula White implored the congregation to go out and vote for 45, um, Kenneth Copeland's daughter, Terry Pearson, you know, um, joined her on stage. And, you know, they were talking about what's at stake in this election. So they're trying to get people to come out and vote in this midterm election so that the Republicans will maintain control, you know, 
And and basically, you know, she was out there advocating for Brett Kavanaugh, and I'm just sitting here. I'm just looking at this. And, you know, and, and she says, hey, I'm going to give you a quote. I'm pleading with you. You know how the Apostle Paul would beseech you. That's like, hey, I'm beseeching you right now. And this is what she said. And, I mean, for those of you that know, I used to be a believer. And basically, you know, you all say that you're Christians, but what you're really doing is following the gospel of Paul. But that's a whole different story, and I don't want to argue with you about it, but it's true. So anyway, um, you know, you have these people, and you have them telling you that God's hand and this is all is in all of this, that God ordained this child, you know, and you have them out here misrepresenting things, talking about California passed the law saying that the Bible is a book of hate speech and banning the sale of it. That's not true. That's not true. And so you all need to pay attention, and you all need to research what these people are saying to you. You know, and hell, what's her name? Omarosa was implying that Paula White and Donald Trump are real close. So you take that for what you wanted. But, uh, you know, they're telling you to vote red. And basically right here, Terry Pearson said, I can tell, I can say to you, vote red. I can say that to you without any fear that the IRS is going to take away your right to donate to this church and deduct it from your taxes and without you being audited because of it. That's over, and that's because our president did that for us. And that goes back to that Johnson Amendment. And so what they're doing is they're challenging the the law. They're challenging the government. They want this to turn into a court case. And when they turn it into the court case, they're going to lose the cases on purpose so that it can be bumped up to the Supreme Court so that the Supreme Court can reverse reverse course on some of, you know, some of their um, decisions. So I'm telling you, uh, you know, he says, you know, um, what's his name? George Pearson's Terry husband saying we're using the voice that God has given us and the muzzle is off. The muzzle is off and it's not going back on either. So, guys, I need you to pay attention and to see what's happening here. And as far as Paula White is concerned, She's lost a lot of members and donations because of her relationship with Donald Trump, because of her support of Donald Trump. So it's nice to know that some of you are taking a stand and walking away and telling them that this is unacceptable. But um, you need to, we need to do more. We need to do more. You know, and um, it's just, it's it's amazing, you know, and, you know, her son is up there, you know, upset because she's lost, you know, a lot of friendships 
and basically he's saying that she got messages from black leaders saying, you betrayed us. And I'm looking at some of these black leaders, you know, these church leaders, and I'm gonna and I'm saying to them, she didn't betray you. She shown you who she was the whole time. There were charges of racism against her and Randy when they had without walls. You ignored it. And at the end of the day, with a lot of these white women, their white privilege is going to take precedent over any type of relationship they have with you. you look. I don't care, you know, you have some white people that are out here that feel as though they can say and do anything if they have a biracial child, if they're married to a black or dating a black person, or, I mean, it's just a number of different things. That doesn't give you a pass. Just because you're in a relationship with or have a child with a black person, that does not give you the right to be anti-black, to make racist comments. And at the end of the day, as I've told you before, the most common denominator in all of this is white supremacy, and they're not giving up their white privilege, period. You know, and they're talking about they lost two to 300 people, and donations have dropped off by $10,000 weekly. So it makes me wonder, you know, she went to Kenneth Copeland's church to make this, to make this you know, to give this talk, and to make this appeal to the people to vote red, you know, and, and as a matter of fact, she let Terry Pearson say it, you know, even though she was up there. And I haven't watched the whole talk, talk by Paula yet, but I will. But the thing is, is that there are still black people in her church, Paula White's church, that are still coming faithfully, that are still sending money. There are black people that watch Kenneth Copeland faithfully, that still send him money. You know, Rod Parsley, and a number of them. Why? Why? You know, so I would just say to you guys, huh, um, you know, basically, you know, Paula White is losing her ministry to a certain degree, you know, just watch the turnover at that church, watch the congregation, and watch the change, you know. um, Yeah, you know, basically it went from a congregation that had about 8,000 members to about 500 members now. You know, some people disputed and say it was about a thousand folks, a thousand members. But um, yeah, yeah. Pay attention. I will just say that um, you know, it's, it's only going to get worse. And I posted a few articles on my wall talking about what was happening over in Western Europe. And basically, you know, Europeans telling Americans to brace themselves because it's only going to get worse, and it is. And so, you know, you got some people saying that it can't get any worse than this. Yes, it can, and it will, and it's going to. 
and which is why I tell people to question those that are in leadership, those that they see in leadership. If they're telling you to basically submit and humble yourselves to the authority of those who seek to harm them, I don't understand how you're still looking up to these people. And especially the ones that are out here that are not living, you know, a lifestyle that's you that's out here living a lifestyle that goes against everything that you believe in. So again, um pay attention. You know, but pay attention and take a look at what's happening and how this is impacting you and impacting people that you love because, again, you have some good people getting caught up in this. I've seen some people that are out here that are 45 stands, and it just absolutely bewilders me, and especially when I see them um, just blindly absolutely blindly following these folks and then get angry with you when you question or critique these particular individuals. But for the statement that the 4,400 pastors signed, you can go to statementonsocialjustice.com. And, you know, I wanted to read a couple of excerpts from you, you know, from this statement to you, but, um, I think it probably will hit you a lot harder if you just read it yourself because, you know, there are no words that can really express the disappointment that I felt reading this. And they've gotten some pushback, but I don't feel that they've gotten enough pushback. You know, and you have people out here calling this a landmark declaration. And I'm like, got got this guy out here feeling like he's Martin Luther, right? Like he took a statement and nailed it to the damn church door. You all need to start speaking up for yourself. You know, and this John MacArthur is talking about how he feels that a lot of these pastors, especially some of the, you know, more well-known ones, how they've basically gotten off message. And, you know, he's here to set them straight. And talking about, you know, it's going to be spiritually disastrous results. Guys... This is dangerous, and we're entering into some really, really serious, dangerous territory. You know, right here, I'm just going to read a part of it to you because I just, well, right here it says, we deny that Christian belief, character, or conduct can be dictated by any other authority, and we deny that the postmodern ideologies derived from intersectionality, radical feminism, and critical race theory are consistent with biblical teaching. So basically women, black people, brown people, LGBTQ people, disabled people, 
Z, all of the above, that's not white, male, educated, wealthy, sit down and shut up. If you are not white, cisgendered, heterosexual, Christian, wealthy, educated, or educated enough, white male, they don't want to hear shit you have to say. Not a damn word. You know, and, you know, the people that are just falling in line with this. And for those that are out there saying, well, my pastor hasn't said anything about it. Your pastor's silence is, is, is tacit agreement. And as far as I'm concerned, he's being complicit. You know, and right here it's talking about specifically we are deeply concerned that values borrowed from secular culture are currently undermining scripture in the areas of race and ethnicity, manhood and womanhood, and human sexuality. And it's just I'm sitting here and I'm watching this. And I'm, like, waiting for, you know, different communities to decry this. And, you know, and I'll be the first one to say that I haven't really gone out looking to see if anyone from the secular community has denounced this. And when I say anyone, I'm talking about large organizations and these so-called celebrities. I doubt it because this falls right in line with those, with, with quite a few people from the secular community, especially the ones that call themselves libertarians and the ones that are followers of the intellectual dark web. You know, falls right in line with um, the Jordan Peterson guy, even though he professes to be a Christian. This falls right in line. This falls in line with some of the beliefs of Sam Harris and a number of other people in the community. And you wonder why many of us reject you too. And what's so funny is, you know, I said some things on the last show. I meant that, and I can back it up. And I don't give a shit who's upset and angry about it. And but what I have to say is some of the issues that I have with the secular community were the same issues I have with the Christian community. So, you know, I was calling bullshit out on both sides. But look at this here. Silence. Deafening silence. But yet you want the same perks, you want the same benefits, you want the same accolades, you know, sitting here fighting these folks so that you can have the same benefits as these pastors, which is basically having a portfolio of property and things, not having to pay taxes on it, you know, not necessarily being held accountable for too much of jack shit. The same shit. Mirror images. And you're preaching the same fucking message. And so, you know, what's so interesting is, you know, at one point, you know, headway was being made in the community, you know, challenging these types of things. And then it just kind of just broke off. And there are reasons for that. But what I'm saying is, ha, 
at the end of the day, whether they're secular or whether they're Christian, that common denominator is white supremacy, and they're not going to give up their white privilege. And many of you are too busy trying to knock the door down and demand that they include you in their shit. And they'll include one or two as long as your message is safe and that they can control you. You're a bobblehead. So, again, the whole thing is just interesting. And, and, and social justice, the fact that social justice stands out the most. What are you so fucking afraid of? Right? So it says here, the Bible's teaching on each of these subject is, subjects is being challenged under the broad and somewhat nebulous rubric of concern for social justice. If the doctrines of God's word are not uncompromising, reasserted, and defended at these points, there is every reason to anticipate that these dangerous ideas and corrupted moral values will spread their influence into other, right? And just looking at some of these responses, you know, um, I'm seeing some responses from black and white people. You know, this is crazy. You know, they reject gay Christian as a legitimate biblical category. We further deny that any kind of partnership or union can properly be called marriage other than one woman and one man in lifelong covenant together. Racism is a sin rooted in pride and malice, which must be condemned and renounced by all who would honor the image of God and all people. We deny that treating people with sinful partiality or prejudice is consistent with biblical Christianity. You know. Huh. And I'm looking for a list of names for all. Well, you know what? I got them because, I mean, it's, it's a petition. So you can see all the names. It's just so many fucking names, you know, trying to go through them all and figure out which ones of these are black, you know, Latinx, what have you. But you all should be concerned. You all should be very freaking concerned, you know, should be very concerned about what's happening here and the direction that this country is going in, and this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. So, yeah. You know, and they're challenging, again, the Johnson Amendment so that they can preach over the pulpit, preach politics over the pulpit, tell you who to vote for and why, but most importantly, what I want you all to understand from that is basically what 45 wants to do is turn these churches into political action committees and funnel money through these churches to help their campaigns. You got to remember, a lot of this stuff boils down to dollars and cents. It's about the money, and I don't want you to lose sight of that. 
It is about the money. And they're going to have access to more cash than they ever had access to. And they're going to be funneling it through. I know we talked a lot about faith-based initiatives and all of those things. Guys, we're not talking out the side of our necks. Everything that I talk about on this show, I encourage you to go and look it up for yourself. Because it's true. But the thing is, is that it's not just the religious community and and their, you know, being power hungry and money hungry and all of that. That's in other communities as well. So, you know, what I would say to you is pay attention to what's happening. Pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to all these things because it's not changing anytime soon. And it's only going to get worse. And as far as, you know, what's happening with the racism and, you know, this this jockeying for power and all of that, this is only beginning in this country. It's going to get progressively worse, you know. And the Europeans are actually warning you all against this, you know, warning you about it and telling you what's coming your way. You know, I would suggest that you go to my page and you read those articles because it's scary. And one of the things that they're doing is they're taking away people's passports, you know, telling some um, Latinx people that they believe that their birth certificates are invalid. And if you go back and you look through history, you'll see why this is dangerous and when this has been done before. And who were harmed by this. So I don't even know what else to tell you guys other than, you know, to be vigilant, do your due diligence, and, you know, be mindful of what's happening around you. You know, there are going to be a lot of people around that's going to need your help because we're all going to be hurt by this. One way or another, we're all going to be hurt by this, and we're going to have to look out for one another. So uh, I just find the whole thing, like I said, you know, interesting, disconcerting, disheartening, uh, frightening. So... Just, you know, keep all of this in mind. Keep it all in mind, but you need to go and look up, again, the Johnson Amendment. Go look up the moral majority and um, just how a lot of this came into play. It's it's really sad. It really is. Um, And your children, you know, not only your children, you. You're being impacted by this. I just had to have a talk with someone about sending money to Kenneth Copeland. And and how he supports 45. You know, you've already, we've talked about on this show about the religious task force. You know, what do they call it? The Liberty Task Force. The Religious Liberty Task Force. 
all of this is playing out. You know, and I need for you all to pay attention to it. You know, pay attention to it because it's coming to a town near you. You're going to be impacted by it. And, you know, and, and it's just sad. I was looking up something here because I want to make sure that I give you all the right information so that you can look this up yourself. But, um, you know, Jerry Falwell and all of them, yeah, you know, let's see here. We go and... Uh, all right, so I can't find it. I hate when I do this. But like I said, I wasn't really going to talk about this today. Oh, yeah, so this is about Bob Jones University. So go and look up um, the religious right and all of this that happened in the 60s and the 70s. But um, it's Green versus Kennedy in 1970 decision stripping tax-exempt status from segregation academies, which were basically private Christian schools that were set up in response to the Brown voice Brown versus the Board of Education, where the practice of barring black students continued. You know, so you know you want to go back and you want to go and you want to read up on all of this information here and how it came up, but about with Bob Jones University and how a lot of these pastors and preachers got angry because they were stripped of their um, 501c3, their tax-exempt status. And that happened in 1976 because basically they didn't want to admit black students at Bob Jones University. So, um, yeah. Go and, and look this up. It's important that you all understand this history right here. And that is when they started building up some of these huge as coalitions, but it actually started before the 70s, but it really really got a push then. It really got a push then. So, yeah, go look it up and understand what's happening here because um, – you got these folks out here, and they are for segregation. Some of your favorite preachers and pastors, you know, the ones that are alive and quite a few that are not alive anymore, they were not pro-segregation. I'm sorry, they were pro-segregation. They weren't integrationists. Good Lord. Okay, I think I've been on too long right now, but um, go back Go back, go back, go back. They hated Christian feminists. They hated feminists. You know, they really hated feminists. You know, and all the hostility. And, you know, that language is still there. And, I mean, look at 45 and what these people, I mean, with the Kavanaugh, they have no intention of listening to Dr. Ford. So, at the end of the day, it's still a bunch of bullshit, always has been. You know, the white supremacy in the pulpit is there. It's not changing. What I don't understand, black church, is how some of you all are following some of these so-called, you know, white ministers or 
pastors or preachers that are up here supporting 45. I don't understand how you're supporting some of the black pastors and preachers that are up here supporting 45. You know, you don't have to be white to be a white supremacist. And there's a lot of that going around. Look at Daryl Scott and a few of the other ones that's on the Trump train. So, again, you got a lot of black people out here that are pro-white supremacists. They just want it in black face. They want to know what they can get out of the deal. They want to know how they can benefit from this. While at the same time continuing to implore you to work for free in their churches, what they call them, willing workers, volunteers, and even some of the ones that are on payroll, in many cases, they're not paying into your Social Security or any of those things, nothing to secure your future. So once you do retire from that job at the church, you know, many of you will be destitute. So you need to look into all of these things. You really need to look into all of these things. And it's not just the churches. Any 501c3 organization, there are exemptions all over the place. If you're working for one, you need to go and check to make sure to see if they're paying into your Social Security. Are they offering you any type of, you know, 401k or program like that? Are they encouraging you to get Roth IRAs or anything like that to build yourself up financially? Hell, are they paying you? Because they're notorious for underpaying people. You got to think about that too. You know, and some of your very favorite people out here, I guess my question is, you know, are they out here railing against this type of shit? Are they bringing it to your attention? Or are they ignoring it and think that it's okay and it's cool to ignore these types of things, right? Happens a lot more often than people would like to admit. So anyway, I'm getting winded. And like I said, it was just one of those days, but I'm going to try to put something together for next week. You know, maybe we'll talk about some of these folks out here that, you know, Twitter is a trip. You know, you see a whole bunch of shit over there. And I just sit back when I see folks testing other folks' limits and shit. And, you know, what gets me are these, you know, conversations that be going on forever only to come to the same conclusion. You just took different routes, but you got there to the same location. But, um, guys, I just need for you to pay attention to what's happening out here. Go and take a look at that statement. Go and take a look at the petition. See the names. Recognize any black, brown, red, yellow names, let me know, you know, so that um, I would just like to know. Like I said, 4,400, that's kind of daunting. I looked at the, all those names, and I was like, I got tired just thinking about it, trying to figure out who is who and what is what. And, you know, and I'm not going to do it, and I'm not asking you to do it. I'm being facetious when I say that. But, um, you know, it doesn't matter who's on the list. 
the fact that they got more than one or two people to sign it speaks volumes. And you need to pay attention to that and pay attention to how that's going to impact you. And you also need to pay attention to some of these black leaders, black pastors, preachers, teachers that are, you know, bringing forth these white supremacist messages to you guys. And don't be afraid to challenge them. Don't be afraid to challenge them, but most importantly, don't be afraid to leave. And like I said, you have people leaving the church in droves, you know, and and that's speaking volumes. And even though people are leaving church, that does not mean that they're going to secular communities. Some people are going to other communities, other religions. Some people are seeking spirituality, uh, a number of things. There are some people that consider themselves nuns, and the secular community cannot claim all of the nuns. That's disingenuous at best. And so I just want you to pay attention to what's going on around you. And so on that note, I am out of here. I'm tired and I'm hungry. So this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that again. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Have a good week, guys. Talk with you soon. Take care.